BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to Comedy Central. childbirth. It's hopefully the last time you touch your mom's vagina. (laughs) And I learned about childbirth firsthand because I recently had a baby. I don't know. She was right here. I don't know. (laughs) You can't have it all, can you? Now, I chose to have a home birth because I wanted to ruin my couch. And it turns out I was pretty lucky because whenever I talk to a woman who has given birth in a hospital, it's almost always a horror story. The labor was painful, the doctors were rude, the nurse pooped on the table and blamed it on me. (laughs) But there's a reason why hospital childbirth leads to all these horror stories. And it's something I want to talk about. So lay back and put your feet in the stirrups for tonight's Long Story Short. Childbirth is the number one reason why people go to the hospital in the U.S. It sends more Americans to the hospital than allergic reactions and... Oh, I don't know how this got stuck in my butt. <laughs> That's a light bulb, just so you know. <laughs> and every year, the healthcare system makes $50 billion from childbirth. And yeah, half of that is just from Nick Cannon, but it's <laughs> still a booming industry. And why is childbirth so expensive? Because like everything in America, healthcare is a business and hospitals look at our uterus like it's an ATM. Delivering moms are increasingly being charged sky high prices for absolutely every service or supply provided to them and the baby. And those bills aren't just high. In many cases, they're bloated. Every time you walk into the hospital, they look at everything that happens to you and say, can I bill for that? It's because they can. They can charge more. Nobody's asking questions. And so they do, and they get away with it. Dr. Marguerite Duane delivered naturally just 12 minutes after arriving at the hospital and only stayed one night. I noticed that I had been charged for two hospital nights. I was charged for medications I didn't receive, such as oxytocin, $958 for his nursery stay. And he didn't Um, spend one minute in the nursery. And he didn't spend one minute in the nursery. One woman says she was charged $400 for Motrin and a stool softener. $400 for a stool softener? What is this, a hotel (laughs) minibar? If you don't have stool softener in your hotel minibar, you gotta go to a better hotel. (laughs) And all that money doesn't even equal better care, because like I said, healthcare is a business, and a business wants to be efficient. But childbirth isn't efficient. Labor could happen at any moment, or it could take over 18 hours. It's kind of like orgasms. Is this going to be a quickie or is someone leaving here with carpal tunnel? 
Nobody knows. Childbirth is messy and unique and complicated. And it, it, it needs the mother to walk around and stretch and bounce on a yoga ball and go to the bathroom because maybe you're going to take a dump or maybe that's where you're going to have the baby. I'm serious. That happens a lot. And it's beautiful. <laughs> But the hospital would rather have us laying down with sensors attached to our bodies because it's more efficient to monitor all of it at once from a computer screen, even though screens should be for raising our children, not birthing them. <laughs> so here's what happens. Now you're lying in a bed and your labor slows down, so the hospital speeds up the process by pressuring you to take the drugs that induce labor, even though those drugs affect the heart rate of your baby and increase your pain. So then they suggest an epidural, where they jam a needle of fentanyl into your spine to numb your lower body, but now you can't feel your lower body, which means you can't help push through the contractions. And now you're slowing down your labor again, your baby's heartbeat is going up and down, it's like a little rave inside your uterus, and the doctor comes and saying, you're not progressing enough, the baby's heartbeat is erratic, all the shit we made you do has made everything worse, why would you make us do all that shit to you? <laughs> And that brings us to the biggest medical intervention of all, C-sections. Americans have them at an alarmingly high rate. And it, doesn't even, uh, and it doesn't always have to do with the health of the mother or the baby. An alarming number. One in three women giving birth in America today having a C-section. But too often, C-sections are not needed. Sometimes doctors or hospitals may rush a C-section simply because they think labor has gone on long enough or because the maternity ward is especially busy. Another reason for the major increase, just for the sake of convenience. Doctors are rushed. I mean, when someone's giving birth vaginally, it can take a long time. They're in labor. It can take days. C-section very quick, you're in and you're out. C-sections are major surgery and they carry all the risks of surgeries. If you have a C-section in 2018, you have a 90% chance of having a C-section the second time. But the second time, it's a more complicated surgery. And the third time, it can be like operating on a melted box of crayons. Melted box of crayons? Jesus! What happens the fourth time? We don't even need to do surgery. It just pops out like an alien. <laughs> And C-sections aren't just risky for the mother, they're also risky for the baby. Children born via C-sections are four times more likely to develop breathing problems. And if my kid is gonna have trouble breathing, I want it to be because I raised a, raised a douchebag who vapes. <laughs> is that cotton candy? There's gotta be a better way to do this. And thankfully, there is. And it's not some newfangled Silicon Valley birthing pod. It's one of the oldest childbirth technologies there is. Midwives. A midwife is a clinician who helps you either birth inside of a hospital or outside of a hospital. And for women with uncomplicated pregnancies, midwives are a great idea, mostly because they don't do unnecessary interventions and they're all about patient autonomy. Can you imagine that? Woman having autonomy? <laughs> Not in my America, let's go Brandon. <laughs> In fact, midwives used to be the norm in delivery until they got pushed out in favor of male doctors. In the early 1900s, physicians went on a very effective smear campaign against midwives. They would make posters showing a black granny midwife in a very poor home delivering a baby and saying, would you want this kind of person to deliver your baby? Joseph DeLee of Chicago called midwives relics of barbarism. To me, it appears brutal. Midwifery, not obstetrics. It is not the forceps, but it is the man behind the forceps that counts. The man behind the forceps is what counts? No, you idiot. We don't need you, your forceps, your racism, or that weird landing strip goatee you got going on. <laughs> but that's 
really the point I want to make here. The hospital doesn't just emphasize efficiency and speed over the mother's health and comfort. It emphasizes the doctor's role over the mother's, particularly when obstetrics was being created by men. And it's such a male thing to think that pulling the baby out is the entirety of labor, when all mothers know that's the easiest part of the whole thing. It's like pulling a piece of toast out of the toaster and saying, I'm the toaster! <laughs> Long story short, for women thinking about having a child, know and understand what your options are and, what, and that this is your birth, not the hospitals and not the doctors. And look, don't get me wrong, there are pregnancies that need medical interventions, but when the hospital needs don't align with yours, remember, you have choices. Just because you're in a hospital doesn't mean you're sick. Childbirth isn't a disease. It's powerful and natural, and we should give women the chance to experience that. And as a side benefit, it'll free up all the hospital to figure out how this got up my butt. <laughs> when we come back, I'll talk to an expert on childbirth, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. So don't go away. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a community-based practicing obstetrician and advocate for the midwifery model of care and human rights in childbirth. He also co-hosts the Birthing Instincts podcast and teaches seminars on breach and twin vaginal birth around the globe. Please welcome Dr. Stuart Fishbein. <laughs> Wow. Dr. Stu, it's so great to have you here. I'm it's an honor to be here. And I, I just have to say, the last segment was you covered so much that's so true. And I, as a male physician, feel <laughs> a little embarrassed. Um, but uh, I walk in the footsteps of all the midwives that came before me and taught me what I didn't necessarily learn in residency. I see, look, listen, men can give credit to women. It's great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, you've been um, you've been in this field for so long. Why do you think there's so much fear around childbirth? Because fear is the strongest emotion that you can control people with. And I think 
the reason that we have so much fear in the Western medical world is because the people that are practicing the doctors are taught to fear birth. They're taught birth is a, is a medical condition, that it needs treatment, that it's chaotic, and that we have to control that chaos. And so they're fearful, and if you talk to most birth workers, they have that sense of fear, and then they project it onward to the women who, of America and other countries. And so, um, and it's all you see. I mean, mm -hmm. not that the media is always bad, but sometimes there's a lot, you know, when you see birth, it's very dramatic. And it's, you know, it's very, and there's a lot of fear. And so it's propagated that way. And that, then you can control people when you have fear. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good tool. And, you know, and childbirth can be such like a lovely thing. And it should be a lovely thing because, you know, we, we are all, you know, we're, we're all born at some point. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's just, it, 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 your entrance into the world is, I think, significant. And yeah, and, and if I could say, if we, if we just take a step back for a second and we look at how other mammals do it, this can give us a, a, a vision into why what we're, what we're doing is not working so well. Mm -hmm. Because when a mammal goes into labor, where does she go? She goes off by herself. Who does she go with? Nobody. And when she's hungry, she does this amazing thing, she eats. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if she's thirsty, she drinks. Mm -hmm. And if she's uncomfortable, she moves. And when she, if she's interrupted in labor, say the predator approaches or the little kids run into the bedroom, um, the mammal will put out hormones like adrenaline, which will stop their contractions, and they'll get up and they'll run away. And only when it's safe will nature, uh, will labor return. And this way, nature ensures that um, the best chance of of success. So what we do in the medical model is, is essentially antithetical to nature's design. Mm -hmm. From the moment a woman gets in her car to drive to the hospital, and actually I would say all through the prenatal care period too, to the moment she puts her baby in the car seat to drive home, pretty much everything that's done to the woman is opposite of what nature has designed. And it's not surprising that labor then doesn't go as well as it should, mm -hmm. that we have such high intervention rates. 30, 40% C-section rates. Some countries at 70 and 80%. Uh, we have, we're inducing women. 30, 50, 80% of women in certain hospitals are being induced. I mean, how many cows get induced? Mm -hmm. You know, that's, it's, it, it's just, we, we the, the medical model sees birth as a problem. Mm -hmm. The midwifery model sees birth as a normal function of a woman's body, mm -hmm. that they trust that nature has a design. And every time you intervene in that design, you, um, you will cause some ripple effect downstream, whether yeah, immediate or later. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I think we forget that we are animals because, and, and particularly in birth, in my case, it's like it, it was the most animal you feel. You know, you're, you, you end up, you're in these positions where you're like, I don't, I don't, I never pictured, I didn't know how my birth would go and I never pictured what actually happened, but it was like, you do, you get in these, whatever positions most comfortable, you're making these guttural sounds you've never made before and, and all of it's just happening to you. And I was lucky enough to experience in a, in a way that, um, you know, where I was at home and it was, it was comfortable and, and I was allowed to do all those things. Yeah, if, if, you, if you let a mammal do, or a woman do what she wants to do, it's amazing mm -hmm. to watch how they will, they will move, they'll do something. The baby's not sitting right in the pelvis. Instead of laying on their back with an epidural numb and they can't help their baby, they can move. You'll watch them, they'll put a leg up on the side of the bed, they'll, mm -hmm. they'll squat, they'll get on all fours, they'll, they'll do certain things. The, the, the medical model has taken all that away. Mm 
And now we're stuck with, you know, 80% of women getting induced and, and in some hospitals, 90% of women getting epidurals. And, and that breaks that connection that women and their babies have. It's a beautiful symphony of hormones that's been going on from the moment of conception. Mm -hmm. And once that um, gets interrupted, the baby's sort of left on its own to fend. When a woman gets an epidural, its mom is no longer being able to help it. Mm -hmm. And so you see that, like you described in your last segment, you see that change in the fetal heart rate and then we've got to do something. And then they get a baby that's perfectly fine from a C-section. And they say, great, we saved your baby. And, and actually, it was all the iatrogenic stuff that happened in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, midwives, on the other hand, as, because they trust birth so well, and they, they accept uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you from experience, and I've been doing this for like 40 years. Um, the first 28 of them, I was in the hospital. The last 12 or 13, I was in the home birth world. Um, we, we don't see that sudden deterioration of fetal status that you see in the hospital when you don't meddle with mother nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, I think we really undersell, like how you, how you come into the world is important. And I just, I wish more women knew that this was an option even, because um, a lot of women, I, I, they would never even, you know, it's, it's become like a, it feels like people are like, oh, this like kind of alternative, like woo woo, you know, like, oh, you're very odd, you had a home birth. And I was like, I don't know, I just, Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, people, uh, people will often, this is an interesting thing. When, when we talk on the podcast, we talk about um, the C-section rate being too high or epidural rate being too high. We'll get letters or direct messages or whatever that tell us that we're shaming somebody. Mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not shaming anybody. But, but, they're, but they're starting to project a little bit of their own guilt on the fact that maybe things didn't go the way they wanted to. All we want to do is let people know that they have these choices and these options. Mm -hmm. And that's not something you're getting in the medical model. You can't do in a five minute, six minute prenatal visit what a midwife does in an hour prenatal visit. Mm -hmm. You just can't. And I, I feel for my colleagues that are sort of in the hamster wheel of the medical model that they can't get out. Because the, the one thing that's really happened that in my lifetime that I saw that was really bad was doctors became employees of hospitals and hospital systems. Mm -hmm. And then their loyalty and their fiduciary duty became compromised because as a solo practitioner, my responsibility is the woman that I'm caring for. Mm -hmm. As a doctor working in a hospital setting, if they don't want you to, to do VBACs, vaginal birth after cesarean, mm -hmm. or they don't want you to um, let anyone go past 41 weeks, then you'll have to skew your counseling. Mm -hmm to get the, the woman to do what your system wants to do, not what the doctor wants to do. And, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of happy obstetricians out there. I don't think that, that a lot of them really like what they do. And, and that's why a lot of, uh, of them give up OB. They go through all that training and then they come out and they just don't want to do it anymore. A lot of nurses leave nursing, they leave OB nursing because they just can't watch what goes on there. And, and, and my, my experience with a midwife is that I got a lot of prenatal care, but, which is very important, but I also got a lot of postnatal care, which is also very important. You know, my midwife came to my house every day after the birth and then, you know, like every couple days, and she was very involved in the afterbirth process. And I think that's also something that's missing. It's, it's almost like you, you have the baby and then you're pushed out of the hospital, like literally in a uh, wheelchair, and then yeah. it's like, bye, good luck. <laughs> see, they'll see you in six weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I was a re when I was a resident, um, you never see a normal birth as a resident mm -hmm. because you're not watching a woman in labor. You're called to the to the delivery room or to the labor room when the nurses need you to do something. 
So they never watched like the sounds that you make or the things that you're saying, the guttural sounds or the, the movements that a woman want, that, that makes. You never know what the normal progress of labor is. So nothing is moving fast enough. So every time you're called to the room, you're asked to do something. You put on a glove, you do a vaginal exam, you order Pitocin, you rupture membranes, you do these things. And this is how young doctors are being trained mm -hmm. to look at childbirth when they really should back off. Maybe 15% of women need medicalized hospital-based care. Mm -hmm. The other 85%, if the hospitals would leave them alone, could do it without much intervention at all. The problem is, is that hospitals don't make money doing nothing. They make money doing something. Yeah. And so there, there isn't, there is, they won't do that. And they just, they will not leave a woman alone. And they can't make a hospital more home-like. Adding curtains and a hardwood floor to a labor room right. doesn't make it more like home. Right. They just they don't know how to leave uh, a, a patient alone. They just don't know how to do it. And even calling them patients, I just made a, an error. Mm -hmm. We call them clients in our world because they're not sick. Mm -hmm. It's like breathing or it's like digestion. These are, these are innate functions of our body. They're primitive brain functions. Fortunately, most of us don't have to think about breathing or digestion. Can you imagine thinking, breathe in, breathe out, right. breathe in? Yeah. You, can't, you can't do that. But, but when you have pneumonia or when you have colitis, you need a doctor. Mm -hmm. But you don't need a doctor to breathe or to digest food or to get pregnant mm -hmm. or to <laughs> uh, go through your, uh, your prenatal care or to deliver a baby. These are all natural functions that nature has designed. And again, I want to reiterate, every time you intervene in Mother Nature's design, there is going to be consequences. Even my, my co-host Bliss likes to say, even if when a, you walk in the room when a woman is in labor and you quietly ask them, can I get you anything or how are you doing? You're actually bringing them out of their primitive brain into their cognitive brain and you're slowing down the labor process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be nice if we uh, could just believe, you know, women can do it. Well, I, I'm living proof that they can. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm living proof that somebody who went through the medical model, you know, I was trained in a very academic program. I was actually very lucky because the program I, I I worked at, was affiliated with a very, very busy hospital. It's actually the busiest hospital in the country back in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. And so I learned the breach and twin, but I also learned um, that it was a medicalized process. And only coming out and being open to the fact that I was approached by midwives to take their home birth transports. And I didn't do it because I thought midwifery was smart or home birth was smart. I probably thought it was stupid like most doctors do. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I did it because I wanted to make money in those days. Right. But I was prescient enough to listen to what the midwives had to say and to learn from the women who were in labor that they didn't have all the things that I thought they needed and they still did fine. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's yeah. amazing. It's really, it really is amazing. Thank you so much for coming on to talk and thank you, thank you for doing the work that you do. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Can I say one more thing? Sure. Today is my daughter's 27th birthday and I want to wish my daughter Madeline a very happy birthday. Happy birthday, Madeline. Explore more shows from The Daily Show podcast universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.